So this morning, I have the amazing privilege to share the Word of God with you. How many of you have been super challenged over the last few weeks by reading the red letters of Christ? Is it just me? I've been amazed at the depth that is in the Word of God. I've been amazed at the teachings of Jesus. I have been amazed that I've been humbled, I've been inspired, I've been challenged, and sometimes I've almost been a little bit fearful at how strong the words of Jesus are and and, and that they are still as relevant today as when he spoke them at that beautiful Sermon on the Mount a few thousand years ago. The second reason that I love this bit is that in the book of Matthew 16, it says, and you are Peter. Now, for those of you who don't know, my name is Peter. And it says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It has nothing to do with me. <laughs> but this morning, I, I'm, I'm both humbled and excited. I'm a bit like Peter in the Bible. I, I vacillate between brave, brave and, and, and fearless for God, and sometimes a little bit worrying and keeping my eyes and, and losing focus. But this morning, I want to say to you that the Word of God is unchanging. It doesn't move. It is our firm foundation. And this morning we get the chance to read the words of Jesus that are the thing that does not change. If you're like me and you get the joy of traveling on the N2 every morning to Cape Town, not, you have a lot of time on your hands. And over the last few weeks, I've been listening to Version Bible app. You can actually listen to it. You don't have to only just read it. It's one of the few Bible apps where you can listen and it doesn't, you know, the, the voice is actually quite nice. And so... Um, it doesn't sound like a mechanical robotic voice. Anyway, and I've been listening over and over to Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. And each time I listen, I'm struck by something new. But this morning at the end of Matthew 7, verse 28, it, it says the following. It's no longer red letters. It's, it's, it's the black ones. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. This morning, as we go into Jesus' words, as we go into some more red letters, I want you to know that the words that Jesus spoke had absolute authority. And that it's not an opinion, it's, not, it's nothing like that, it's actually the authority, the real spoken word straight from the heaven, straight from God. And that's what we've got. So, how did we start the series? It started with these three words. Blessed are you. It does not mean when you sneeze, bless you. It's none, nothing like that. Jesus started with the words, blessed are you. That blessed is so much broader than our Christian word of, oh, bless you, brother. It's not that. It's the fact that we face many trials in this life, but we're blessed because we get to hold on to the creator of heaven and earth. It's blessed because inside of each and every one of us, there's that opportunity to know our maker and to make him known, and that's what our blessed is. It's blessed because we get to build our house on the rock of Jesus Christ, that firm foundation. That's what blessed is. And so Jesus starts, he says, blessed are you. Before we have to do anything, he says, blessed are you because you know me. That's why you're blessed. And that's how he started. And so this morning, before we jump in, blessed are you. And blessed are you because Jesus wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. Then last week, Pierre did a phenomenal job of sharing salt and light. Um, my wife and I were up in children's church. It was a slightly different message to this one down here, I'm sure. 
but the verse was the same. And the verse went like this, Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the world. Stay salty. You are the light of the world. Let it shine. Did you do that down here, Pierre? No. (laughs) But as I listen to it, it, it's the same message. And the fact that the little kids got it, that they could say, I'm the salt of the world. And they had salt in their hands and they had to lick the salt. And it, oh, it's salty. How many of us are like that? That when we go out into the world and the world tastes that, they're like, ooh, that's salty. Because as Pierre said last week, we're there to change the culture. We're not there just to be the consumers of the culture. And then we had a little headlamp and you turn the headlamp on and you're like, oh, that's bright. You're the light of the world. Let it shine. We're not here to retract the light of God. We're here to reflect the light of God and to say, Lord, as your light so shines, let me shine it out to the people around us. And then finally, Pierre said, you're here to be spiritually fit, not spiritually fat. And how many of you got Discovery Active Rewards? These are your 600 points every day. (laughs) Read your Bible, pray, spend time in the Word and share God's message and you get your points. There's no free smoothies, but there's a passage to heaven. And really, that's the spirit of that. And with that as a background, God then breaks it open. He starts getting practical with us. He says, how do we go from us knowing this message of God to living it to the world around us? And so this morning, I had the privilege of sharing on the spirit of the law of God and the spirit of reconciliation. It's a bit of a long passage. So I've got it on the board. Please follow with me. And uh, here we go. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great, in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the God, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. It's the word of God. Jesus spoke it. It's quite quite strong, eh? (laughs) It's very strong. And there's so much in that. And so this morning, I'd like to just frame it. History. How many of you, like me, I was a history buff at school. I loved history. And uh, I loved history for a couple of reasons. I loved the stories of old. I loved the way that things came together and and people would, would win and lose and battles and all that. But why I also loved it is that history often tells us something for the future. Now, if you're like me, your Bible's made up of two parts. There's a big chunky part in the front of the Bible called the Old Testament. 
okay? It takes up more than the skinny section in the second half, which is called the New Testament. You can read the Old Testament as well, and you can read the New Testament. But the Old Testament is around God creating something so beautiful. He wanted to have time with us. He created the world. He created us, and he wanted to have intimate relationship with us. The story is then that we forsake God and we walked away from him. And the whole Old Testament is around crying out to get back to that point of being with Christ and being with a relationship with our Father. And the Old Testament talks about the coming of a Messiah that is so great and so powerful, he'll reunite us with our Heavenly Father. The New Testament starts with the birth of that very person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who broke out of heaven so that he could come and meet with us so that we could once again have a relationship with our Father. And then the New Testament then says, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because I love you so much, I'm gonna break out of heaven so that I can show you how to get back to relationship with the Father. And that's what history is about. And that's where Jesus stands on the Sermon on the Mount and he starts with the words that blessed are you and I have come. Jesus is fulfilling all of those prophecies. And we get to verse 16, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the stroke of a pen will by any means disappear. How many of us think that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace? And so sometimes we, we, we're a bit like Paul and we say, I no longer live under the old disposition, I live under grace. Bless you, brother. God's coming, Jesus is coming to say, that's not it. I did not come to change the law, I didn't come to give you something new. I came to fulfill the law. The Afrikaans Greek meaning for it is propful. That is propful. I came to fulfill. I came to make it absolutely whole. And so what he's saying, he says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. For the Bible scholars here, the law and the prophets speaks about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And then the prophets talks about all the minor and major prophets in the books of Samuel and Chronicles. In essence, that first two thirds of your Bible, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill every single thing that was written in that Old Testament. I didn't come to fulfill the big themes of it. I didn't come to just say, well, you wanted a king, here's one. He came to fulfill every single line that was written in the Old Testament. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing that our God has come to fulfill that. Secondly, then God says, I have come. Imagine sitting there, 12 disciples, and God is saying, hey guys, remember all that stuff that was written about over those thousands and thousands of pages? I came. You know what we were promising? I came. I came for you, and for you, and for you. Those promises that you held on so tightly to, here it is in flesh and blood in front of you. I came. I came not to abolish them, not to undermine them. I came to fulfill them, to make them real, to, to deliver them. If I was one of those guys, I'd be like, oh my goodness, he came for me. He came for me. And Jesus left no debate as to why he came. He came to fulfill every single little line of what was written in the Old Testament. So Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that means that this is super important to him, that the law of Christ is super important to Jesus. The second 
thing he came is to reveal love to us. When I read that passage of scripture many times, he doesn't speak as if he's a far off God. He doesn't say, the Lord. He speaks, I have come. If I look through that passage of scripture, it says words like, I have come. I say to you, I tell you. God loves us so much that he wanted to have a personal relationship with us. He didn't say that my father sent me in this moment. He said, I have come. This was my choice to come so that I could have a relationship with you. If you wanna build your your house on the rock or your life on the rock, choose me because I came first for you. And so Jesus reveals that love to us. And then he goes into a strong sentence, a very strong sentence. In verse 19, he says, Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Oh my word. Oh my goodness. How's that for a a warning shot? He's saying to us, appreciate the law. Understand what's written in it. Abide by it. Because in it is life. In it is power, in it is strength. And you know what? There's actually a cost to following me. In that moment, I believe Jesus is saying, there's a cost to following me. You have to know what I'm about. You have to get to know me. You have to understand what, what the, the desire of my heart is for you and for, for the people around you. A disciple's life is one of learning and constantly learning to follow Christ. None of us are there. Is anybody in heaven yet? No. So until we get there, let's keep learning about Jesus, let's keep following him, let's keep reading his, his law, let's understand it, let's apply it, let's bring life to it. And then he says in verse 20, until you surpass the Pharisees' righteousness, yo, that must zumble you. You know, the, the, the Pharisees were the really religious people of the time. They, they're those guys who would wake up at the exact time every day and follow all of the right rules every single step of the day. Don't eat this, don't do this, brush your hair like this, go to bed like this. You know, don't do this at this time. And and on Sunday, you can't pick the grain and you can't heal and you can't do this and you can't do that. There's a lot of laws. You know, it's a bit like the chore list in some some of our houses, you know. You gotta pick this up, do this, do that. But Jesus is saying something that, that must have shocked them. But what Jesus is actually saying is he's saying, what I don't want you to do is superficially fulfill all of the exterior laws. I don't want you to follow a set of rules all of the time. What I want you to do is I want you to live out the spirit of the law, which, is, which I'm gonna birth within you so that you're not doing it because I don't need to do this and I don't need to do that and I don't need to do this. I'm abiding by the law because I do want to love and I do want to reach out and I do want to live Jesus to the world and therefore I don't murder and I don't kill and I don't steal. And it's about the heart of the positive heart of what Jesus was trying to say to them as opposed to all the minutiae of the law. Let's fast forward in the Bible to the book of John and Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he says something amazing. He says, all of this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all of these things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is saying that I give you the law, I give you this manual. It's an amazing manual. Read it. It's amazing. It'll bring you life. But he says, I come and I also give you the spirit of God. 
I give you the Holy Spirit, which will reinforce and make alive in you all of these things that are living in the law. And so Jesus was, was really saying, guys, I came to reveal love to you, not so that I could have more laws. No, I came to reveal love to you so that those laws could be made real and expressive and full of power. And so Jesus said, then the next part I say is that those laws are life-giving. And that gets us to the first example here of the spirit of reconciliation. Verse 21, it says, you have heard it was said to people long ago, do not murder and anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother is subject to, to judgment. On this side of the scale, we've got murder. I'm not gonna ask you to put your hands up, but I'm hoping there's not too many of you in this room. Murderers, no? Okay, good. Right, on this side, Jesus is saying, but I don't even want you to be angry. How many of you have been angry? How many of you have hurled insult? This week, as I was preparing the sermon, I wrote it beautifully on the plane on Tuesday night. I then got off the plane and realized that my laptop was no longer in my possession, and I was angry, and I was preaching on anger. Thanks, God, for that lesson 101. And what God was saying is that in Exodus 20, the sixth commandment is, thou shalt not murder. That's a pretty straight line. It's a far outpost of where we shouldn't go. And God brings it way closer to us, and he says, I don't even want you to be angry. This seems a lot harder than that. That's like, I won't do that. I'm a nice guy. I would never do that. But when the taxi cuts me up, I'll definitely choose some choice Afrikaans words. And here we're angry. And God is saying to us, this is the same, this is the same for me. I don't even want you to be angry. I don't want you to get to the point of anger because the slope from there to there is a slippery slope. And the words that you're choosing here may defile someone for years and years. There are many of you here who sit with the angry word that was spoken over you as a child and you're unable to get rid of it. It was a word that was spoken harshly by your parents or by someone who you loved and you can't get away from it. And God's saying, you, something died inside of you when someone spoke an angry word over you. They insulted you. And so God's saying, this is the highest standard. This is a standard, sure, don't even get near there, but man, to really live out the fullness of who I am, live in this place. Don't even get angry. And those are both things that we, I feel like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. But God says something beautiful. He says, I want you to trade murder and anger for reconciliation and love. So it's not a set of do nots, do nots. It's a set of do's and do's. Do reconciliation and do love. Therefore, you won't even want to do anger or murder because I'll be so busy doing reconciliation and doing love that this is not even an option. I love it. God, Jesus gets pretty harsh with these oaks. And he says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of your cup and your dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind, first clean the inside of your cup and dish, and then your outside will be clean also. So Jesus is saying, trade these negatives for positives. And then he says a beautiful thing. He says, first, be reconciled to your brother. If you're worshiping and you feel you have an offense, go and be reconciled with your brother. Leave your, your offering there and go and be reconciled. Jesus makes Christianity so practical. 
He makes it so practical. It's not a far off thing. If Hanre has offended me, I go and I say, Hanre, I wanna be the bigger man. I'm gonna be the bigger man. I'm sorry, bud. I'm sorry for how I offended you. I'm sorry how I was rude and cut you up in traffic. I'm sorry. If he responds, that's his choice. But Jesus says to me, first be reconciled. Go and make it right to your brother. And then he says something even cooler for me. He says, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let it grow. Don't let it morph in Hanre's mind that me cutting him up in traffic meant that I don't like him and I don't want to see him ever again. No, do it quickly so that that cannot be festering in his own heart and that thing cannot take root and grow into a tree that is so hard to take out. Jesus is saying the spirit of the law is this. Do not let anger or hatred live in your hearts at all, but seek mercy, seek forgiveness, seek love. Now, Kate and I have had an amazing verse that we have lived by, well, we've really enjoyed in our family over the past year. Kate's my wife, for those who didn't know. And the, the verse is this, it comes out of the Old Testament, out of a book called Micah 6, verse eight. And it says, what is required of me? Oh Lord, what is required? And simply he says, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm gonna make it very practical. I've just read a book. If you know me well, you'll know that I, I kind of like sport a lot. <laughs> like, like a lot, a lot. And um, I still think I'm 20 and still strong and fast. Not but I love sport. And I've just finished reading A.B. De Villiers' autobiography. So this is not a spiritual example. It's a very practical one. And A.B. in his book, it starts with him batting at the Wanderers in the bullring. And he bats in innings where he makes 149 runs of 44 balls, hitting 16 sixes. It was a whirlwind. The cricket world had never seen it before. And in the book, they asked him, was that your greatest innings? And he says, nope. My greatest innings was when I was a young boy and I was batting to play out the day against my two big brothers in the backyard. <laughs> he had a passion for, for, for the game. The book carries on, and you see A.B. playing in the IPL. Now, for those of you who don't know, the IPL is the Indian Premier League. At the moment, it's the biggest cricketing uh, tournament in the world. There are thousands of fans in every game, between 30 and 60,000 fans flying flags. And A.B. de Villiers went out to bat, and he's out there to bat, and he's in India. He's a, he's a little boy from Bella Bella up north. Bella Bella's not a very big place. And he's playing his cricket, which he loves, and he's playing in India. And the next thing in the crowd, he hears, A.B.D. A.B.D. And he thinks, I'm a little oak from Bella Bella. Are they, who are they chanting for? And let me tell you this. A.B. de Villiers is probably the, one of the most technically sound batsmen in the world. He understands the laws of cricket. He gets it. You hit the ball really hard, it goes over the rope. <laughs> but secondly, he has a love for cricket. He's passionate about it. He enjoys it. He loves it. And then the third part is that he involves everyone in it. And he gets them excited about it. So much so that thousands of fans from another country are cheering for a little boy from Bella Bella, saying, you can do it. We might not want your team to win, but we want to see you play. How much more for us as Christians? We have the law of Christ. We have this law, this precious law that, that Jesus gave us. And inside of it are the rules and the structures on how to play the game called Christianity. It's not even a game, it's a lifestyle. 
And inside there's the law. And secondly, there's a love because Jesus said, I came for you. I came so that you could have this. I love you so much. And there's the relationship part of it. And then the third part is he says, live it out. Take those laws, take this spirit, take this love, and then live it out practically in the world around you. And I'll give you how to do it. I'll tell you, be reconciled. Don't be angry. Love. And you know what the beautiful thing is? When we play the game really, really well, when we play with all of our hearts, trusting the spirit of God and the law of God, and we say, Lord, make much of this. You know what the crowd shouts? They shout, Jesus, Jesus, the hope of the world. I couldn't play for a greater game than that. I don't know a greater game than that. I don't know anything worth more than playing so that Jesus gets the glory. And that if we get everybody involved, not just the guys in the middle, but everybody involved in the praise and the glory of God. And that is when we take this thing and we make it real to our hearts and then we practically live it out to a world that is around us. That for me is what it is about. And so finally, I'd like to say to you that in Matthew 22, hearing what was said, the Pharisees got together and one of them an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied with this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Suddenly, the entire two-thirds of the Old Testament gets a little bit simpler because God's saying that all of it hangs on this, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, to, love this, to live out this Christian faith with a heart connection with Jesus Christ, with all of your mind to start to take this thing and understand it and apply it, and with all of your soul and to come and say, Spirit of God, fill me up so that I am full, propful, so that I can live it out. And then he says, and the second is like it, is to love your neighbor. And that is when we take this amazing gift that we've been given, the spirit of the law, the ability to take this and God breathe into it and then live it out through us so that we're not murderers. We're not angry. In actual fact, we are loving reconcilers of people to Jesus. Jesus broke out of history so that you could have a relationship with him. I have come, I tell you. He came to fulfill all of those promises. He didn't miss one, not one. Do you think he's gonna miss you? Not a chance. He didn't miss thousands of praises of prophecies. He, he fulfilled every single one of them. And this morning, some of you have had an angry word that was spoken over you and you're battling to reconnect with God because this thing's just chowing me on the inside. But God wants to connect with you so that you can connect with others and bring them into a real relationship with Him. And the challenge is this, is that you leave here today and it's your job to reconcile. It's your job to read the Word of God. It's your job to make it a priority. You know what He says? I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you when I do it. And so when you go and do that and when you go to be reconciled, you know, it's cool. He's with you. He'll never let you go. And so this morning, as we start to practically live out Jesus to the world, 
know this, He will never leave you and He will never forsake you.